Andrew, I got to tell you, I was very excited to celebrate the fact that with episode seven of God versus God in Roman numerals, we've now reached triple digits. Now, it's quite an accomplishment. I prepared a witty monologue to mark the occasion, maybe even a little light musical number. Uh, Before I could deliver it, our crack production staff informed me that we had already, in fact, reached triple digits in episode three. Oh, yeah, that's true. With I, I, I. Um, So I know what you must be wondering. (laughs) First, how can your co-host be so inept at Roman numerals, which is fair? A second, where did this production staff come from? But I have no answers to either of those questions. Um, Nonetheless, I am pleased that we are at episode seven. We'll be breaking into quadruple digits in our next installment, if uh, if my Roman math is correct. But first things first, episode VII, where we begin. Uh, a quick bit of listener mail, as I like to, to throw in. Uh, of course, the end of episode five, Prometheus versus the Moirai. You will recall that I enacted a scene in our final category, <laughs> Matinee Idol, in which the eagle who was feasting on the liver of Prometheus was yes. portrayed by my impression of the great comedian Gilbert Gottfried. Now, late great. I don't know if you read the papers, but sadly, Mr. Yeah. Gottfried died, ended up dying just a few weeks later. Um, one listener then wrote to warn me in light of this, I should really be careful about which people I do impressions of in future episodes. So I will certainly take that advice to heart as I do that of all of our listeners. And I want to be very clear. I would never wish any one individual harm, even if that one person was doing terrible harm to others in the world. Unrelatedly, I may be working on a Russian accent just in case (laughs) if I should change my position, but for now that will be my policy. So Without further ado, God versus God, episode seven. Uh, we're going Hecate versus Artemis yes. this time. And as always, may the best God win. I'll begin with Hecate. So, Andrew, one challenge I've found in this show, and maybe you have to, is it's tricky sometimes to get the pronunciations correct. You know, people right. like the two of us will read a lot about mythological figures, but it's pretty rare that they come up in spoken conversation. Um, as one example, yeah. back in our second episode, we both needed a little work to get the name of the goddess of the harvest correct. You know, is it Demeter, Demeter? Correct. Yeah. Demi Moore. We had we had to work through it. <laughs> yep. Took some effort. Now, for this episode, as always, we let the fates decide. Went to our deity selection tool. I drew Hecate. Um, but until doing a little digging, I had heard her name in my head differently. I had always heard it as the rhyme of the fine Mexican golden lager known as Tecate. Yeah. Which, of course, is born and brewed in the Baja California town that bears its name. So it was always Hecate for me, like Tecate. Um, So in my mind, I also had a bit of a visual image. I'd always pictured that Hecate, or as I will call her now, Hecate, had a certain sort of coastal Mexico flair. You know, she was doing her goddess duties, probably by the beach, maybe like a little tasteful (laughs) two-piece with a sheer cover-up. A bucket of Tecate bottles on ice, maybe a couple of lime wedges. You know, you get the idea. Side of taquitos, guac, maybe even like accompanied by a trusty chihuahua. Well, that was the image in my head. And I will tell you tonight, Andrew, it, upon further review, this is not the case. This is not <laughs> at all. She is, in fact, uh, the Greco-Roman, not Mexican, goddess yeah. of many things. Boundaries, crossroads, witchcraft, the moon, necromancy, and ghosts. So a lot to pack in to the plate right. of Hecate. Uh, and, you know, she is a lesser known deity. We kind of have to, to piece together little fragments that we get over the years. But but still some good kind of 
darker kind of spooky stuff uh, related to her for the yeah. episode. So should be interesting. Now, back to her origin story. Hecate is the only child of Perseus and Asteria. So she is from the less famous, less well-known sort of Titan side of the family. Um, there are a few accounts that have her as a child of Zeus. Now, that's always possible, given yes. <laughs> Zeus's legendary fecundity. Um, but that's a rare part of the story. So most people agree in the span of history, Perseus and Asteria are the predominant opinion. We'll stick with that. Now, we've seen instances where there are certain deities who become kind of merged. They are associated with each other over the years, even equated. They kind of become the same thing. We heard about that a little bit with uh, Helios and Apollo. You know, Helios's yep. reputation went a little down Apollo kind of took it over and became the god of the sun. Um, it is a thing that happens over the course of time. Uh, oddly enough, Hecate very early on was associated with Art Artemis, the goddess of the hunt, our, the very subject of the next section right. and her opponent in this episode. So the fates have thrown us a bit of a curveball on this one because they were, in fact, essentially the same figure at the beginning. Right. Uh, I suppose I expect we will still rise to the occasion, but it will be be a singular experience for us. Um, now, when Artemis was eventually elevated into the, the pantheon of the Olympians, there was this kind of schism, a kind of split that occurred within at least the Greco and Roman cultures. So Artemis, as I'm sure you will discuss, took on the kind of the bright side, the side of purity and maidenhood. I'm sure you'll talk about that. Uh, in contrast, though, Hecate kind of took on the darker aspects, the magic, the casting of spells, spending time with the souls of the dead, being worshipped at night. And as we will learn shortly, uh, took on a coterie of very strange animal companions throughout all this <laughs> darkness and, and yeah. magic. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Hecate's origins. We do know that she does help the Olympians defeat the remaining Titans in the Gigantomachy, which is another great exercise for pronunciation. Um, she took <laughs> on the, gi- the tongue. <laughs> it really does. It, it takes it takes some work. Uh, she slayed the giant Clytius using uh, what we will find out to be her weapons, these very powerful torches. So even though she, again, came from the Titan side, ended up joining the Olympians, took a big part of that battle. As a result, Had was really in good favor with Zeus uh, for the remainder of, of their days. So even though she was from the Titan strain of the family tree, yep. she was in good graces uh, with the Olympians. Um, originally, we also know that her name was spelled as Hecate, H-E-C-A-T, without the final E. Who would you suspect added that final E? later much later in the story I, have, I would have no idea you would not you would not guess none other than william shakespeare himself decided uh-huh. in he, he was he alluded to her in midsummer night's dream king lear even the scottish play whose name i will not recount on air right. um i assume it just fit his iambic pentameter it fit his right. rhythm and, and if you're shakespeare you can get away with that so yeah. the, the bard says it it sticks so from then on from shakespeare's time it became Hecate, as we have it today. He, he has all the poetic license. He does, for sure. Probably better than anybody. So the earliest depiction we have of Hecate is this little terracotta st- statue in Athens. She's sitting on a throne, wearing leaves, offering a maternal blessing, very much still on the, on the bright side of things, all by herself, much more conventional kind of appearance. But shortly after that, she's going to start to transition to this much darker, kind of more, more watchful self. And she'll appear in this, what we call a triple goddess, configuration, which is going to be her sort of iconic look, her signature look, if you like. So three versions of herself all appearing together, full body, all standing around a pole, 
And in fact, the pole becomes known as the Hecation. So she's even branding the pole that the three versions of herself are, are standing around. Nice. Now, these will become popular statues all over the place. And people will put them at the shrines that they put into crossroads. Fittingly, they'll put them at the entrance to temples, even private homes to protect over the household. Even Ovid in Metamorphoses cries out and says, look at Hecate standing guard at the crossroads, one face looking at each direction. So she's got a good view to look out no matter where she's, she's looking. Yeah. Now she's also holding a variety of items in these depictions. She's got the torches I mentioned a second ago. She's got keys, carry some serp- serpents, some daggers. So not just looking out like a mall cop, but really coming with the props, with the tools she needs to, to get down to business in the interest of guiding and protecting. So she's carrying a lot. We'll learn she's got some animals around her as well, but yeah. that's how we learn to see her. And, and the first of those animals and the, probably the biggest of them, her association with the dog. So, in okay. fact, I mean, I guess in a strange way, my vision of her with the Chihuahua back in Mexico, <laughs> not entirely off base. Yeah, okay. Uh, and yet the association she has with the dog, we'll see, is, is very complicated. So in early art and literature, she's actually depicted as being kind of dog-like, shaped like a dog, even having the heads of three dogs sometimes. That wears off pretty quickly as we get to the sort of triple goddess version that we get used to. But the dog appears in other places. Anytime she's approaching, you will hear the sound of dogs howling. So it's like we're, we're seeing this as also part of her brand. There's, there's going to be this sort of warning from the dogs that look out, Hecate's coming, like a, okay. like a scary jingle. Um, because she's known for being a protector, this does make a lot of sense because back then they used guard dogs quite a bit. So the notion of protection dogs very much aligned. So that made sense. And so she's accompanied by them uh, in sound and in her little your entourage. At the same time, the dog is also her sacrificial animal. So worshipers are regularly burning and eating them in a solemn sacrament. Wow. I see that coming. (laughs) And this was a very popular thing. Black dogs in particular. Um they would, yeah, they would, they would, they would bring the 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 pick of the litter and they would they would have a sacrifice. Um some would say that it's a symbol of her connection with birth. And as a result, that, that people would even prioritize puppies, not just dogs, for these sacrifices to, uh, to bring, to burn, to consume. I, I, it's a strange choice. Right. Yeah. I guess the puppies are easier to catch, but much less of a meal, I would think. Yeah. So um, others symbolically will mention these dogs as these manifestations of the restless souls of the underworld who will accompany her. So there's a symbolic value to that. Um, there's another chapter or an explanation of why these dogs are part of her story, which takes us back to the Trojan War. So after the fall of Troy, Queen Hecuba, of course, the wife of King Priam, once the city falls, is in such despair that Troy has fallen, leaps into the sea. Um, but Hecate saves her. And this is getting into her, so the beginnings of her witchy side. Um, still wants to get some revenge because she's on the other side of the conflict. So she casts a spell to transform the queen into a female dog as described at the time as a she dog with fiery eyes. So if you'll forgive the salty language, it is an instance in history where Hecate literally makes the queen her bitch and keeps her on hand as something of a pet. So I'm not going to pretend that's where the phrase comes from, but it's a literal thing that happens back then. So to her credit, turns it into the she turns the queen into the she dog but allows her to remain in the entourage becomes part of the traveling pack so okay so her dog so queen hecuba is her <laughs> that's right not just a dog but becomes essentially her dog 
And I guess because she's a queen, she's not going to be sacrificed eating any of that stuff. So she's part of the club. Um, But that's not where the animal stories at. So beyond the dogs, Hecate is also associated with the polecat, which of course is similar to the ferret, the weasel, maybe the marmot is in the same family. And which takes us back to, of course, to episode five with the moray where you mentioned the three fates. They were interfering with the maiden Alchemini. She was trying to give birth to Hercules, son of Zeus. Against their wishes, they didn't want to be overruled. And of course, as a favor to Hera, who, as usual, was upset that Zeus was having more children. So the Moirae are so upset at Alchemini's midwife, Galentheus, who's immortal, just trying to deceive them, that they transform her, as you so well put it, into essentially a weasel, a polecat, who in order to procreate has to be mounted through the ears and then give birth through the throat, which I think... In a program that's had a lot of creative punishments, this one yeah. still has got to be top top yeah. two or three, maybe even the first. That's it's right. they really so, thought that one through. Yeah, at the time I assumed it was because that she interfered with the, their rights over the birthing process. Exactly, exactly. So she yeah, she was trying to kind of put one over on the Moire. They weren't having it, and yeah, they turned her into this polecat, this 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 unusual weasel. Um, Hecate gets involved in this story. So she sees the transformation into this bizarre little animal, feels bad for Galentheus and, and makes her a sacred servant of herself. So she says, all right, you're going to be a polecat, yeah. but you can, can join the club. You can follow us she, around. She adopts be, her, yeah. Yeah. Now, she still has to remain a polecat because <laughs> oh, yeah. as we will <laughs> never forget in this program, there are no take backs no. in any of this world. So, but as a consolation prize, gets to join the entourage. So Score a few points for Hecate uh, for taking on the pole, the polecat, the weasel, and in her darkest moment. Now, I'll also mention that Hecate is known for a red mullet. And I know what you're thinking. That is a very unusual choice for a hairdo, <laughs> particularly in the ancient era. So you mean an actual an actual mullet? Well, you would think that. Yeah. It is an unusual, <laughs> an unusual look, but in fact, I'm referring to the fish, okay, the red mullet. Are. Yeah, so we don't have any record of her wearing that as a hairdo. She was not a <laughs> ginger hockey player. Um, the actual red mullet is the third of her big animal association. So it is a fish. It refers to two different species of a goat fish, Mullus barbatus and Mullus cermuletus. Really just getting the tongue twisters all out there. Yeah, there you go. Um, but that particular fish delights in eating the polluted things of the sea. So it eats dead fish. It even is known for eating the flesh of human corpses. Um, these fish also turn this very bright red, the color of blood as it matures. And since Hecate becomes known as a very, very much associated with blood, the fish becomes sacred to her, having all those negative characteristics of being around the dead, being around the deep, the blood. And so it becomes a sacred, sacred beast does this fish. Now, oddly, later on, the, the, a lot of the Roman historians from Cicero, Horace, Seneca, they wrote about something called red mullet fever. <laughs> that attracts all of the, the wealthiest Romans during the, those last years of the Republic, the first years of the empire, which I first read and assumed that, that was some kind of illness. Um, but in right. fact, it was more of, a, more of a, a social mania, like a cultural trend, a fad. Okay. Um, similar to, I guess, our, like our Pac-Man fever in the eighties. <laughs> right. Um, so they, but these rich Romans, like they got obsessed with these red mullets. They, they got obsessed with how big they could grow them. They would keep them in captivity and they would enjoy the experience of watching them turn this, this very deep color of red. And they just really got off on, on the aesthetics of it. And then they would begin to like 
these rich folks, they would, they would caress the mullets to sort of get their bodies extra big. They would even teach them, and this is all true, they would teach them to come when they called with their keeper's oh. voice. They were training fish to come to be fed with either the voice or the ringing of the bell. Now, this is especially weird because this would take like years to be able to do this because right. fish are dumb, but yeah, <laughs> they found a way. Um, in the rare cases that these, these rich Romans were willing to, to part with their red mullets and sell them, each one was worth its weight in silver. So this was, this was expensive stuff. Yeah. So those are the days people brought, bought these giant blood fish as pets. Now they just buy social networks. Not much has changed, <laughs> but you can see the, uh, you can see the connection. So even today, red mullet, while you probably won't see it on many menus, remains a delicacy. People still eat the liver of it okay. and it is a uh, high in protein, vitamin rich. It's got your omega-3 fatty acids. So I would not look at it on the, look for it on the menu of your, your local red lobster, but uh, <laughs> it is still making its circulation in the right. obscure corners of the rich person food world. So that covers the animals beyond this weird little coterie of, 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 of her pets, your edible dogs, your ladies turned into ferrets or bloodfish, whatever she's, Hecate is also associated with some sacred plants and poisons. We think particularly of the U, Y-E-W, which is an evergreen. And her worshipers would 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 drape this 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 you around a sacrificial black bull. So I guess if they're if they're out of dogs, they get a black bull, maybe for the, the annual yeah, for big the, festival. Um, draper in that, and then they would begin a holocaust. Now that term jumped out at me. <laughs> Again, that term jumped out at me. I thought very strange. So apparently, Holocaust, we often hear about the Holocaust, but at the right, time, yeah. a, a Holocaust was a regular term for any kind of burnt offering where you would completely consume the sacrificial offering with fire. Okay. So this was, you know, they would take the U, they would hold a Holocaust, I guess what the verb would be, and they would have the sacrificial burning. Now, they were also very, you know, Hecate was also in favor of, of garlic in these events and Cypress. So they'd be very, very fragrant smell. So it was, yeah. I presume the best, the best smelling Holocaust in town, but that was, that was at least the uh-huh. plant variety of how they would worship her if they if they didn't have a dog around. Now, I mentioned earlier, Hecate is also known as the goddess of, of boundaries. And what's interesting yep. is she's able to work her way between worlds. She's very comfortable in any, any setting. She's the utility infielder of her time. So she can, of course, mediate between the Titans and the Olympians. Since she has family members on both sides, she was able to conduct those conversations. She works very well between the mortal and the divine spheres. And she's what's called a liminal deity, which means she presides over the thresholds, the gates, the doorways, where are those boundaries between life and death? That's where she always does her thing. So she explains why she's always carrying keys, torches, even a pack of dogs to make sure that whenever you're in these liminal spaces, these moments of transition, she's there to protect you, to watch over you going from one place to the next. Uh, and as I mentioned, you, you would have shrines to her at homes, you know, doorways, temples, cities, with the belief that those would protect you by being on her good side from the restless dead and the other spirits. Interesting, though, the, the protection of Hecate was never a guarantee. Sometimes if she wasn't in the right mood, and she'll yeah. actively refuse to keep the demons away. She'll withhold the protection, or she will even, in some cases, essentially sick the souls of the dead against you. Uh, if you've if you've not worshipped uh-huh. accordingly, so she's willing to use the souls of the dead as both a sort of source of protection, but also something of an offensive weapon. If you if you're on her dark side, it feels sort of par for the course for these guys. It is. It's we're seeing some trends start to develop. <laughs> yeah. uh, 
but this this gets to her her connection with the underworld. So those keys are symbolic for unlocking the gates of death. Now Virgil, we'll get back to the underworld, used to describe the entrance to hell as Hecate's Grove, which I don't know, to me sounds like kind of a nice little park, maybe yeah. like a condo development. Um, but based on our previous tellings of, of the underworld, really anything but. Yeah. Uh, she becomes equally powerful in heaven or hell. And I think she's best known probably in the underworld part of the story um, in that, that time where Persephone is abducted by Hades, taken to the underworld. We talked about this one a few episodes back. Uh, her mother, Demeter, seeks help from Hecate to, to, to try to find her. Um, and Hecate uses, of course, those torches to search the earth to try to find Demeter's daughter, Persephone, searches for nine whole days, is unable to find her, but still really feels for Demeter and suggests that she talk to Helios, the sun which also came up earlier, since he sees everything. Now, remember, Hecate is associated with the moon and Helios with the sun. So in a way, they're kind of colleagues, work yeah. friends, but but she mentions at least he's going to be able to know where she is. And of course, Helios can identify, yep, she's in the underworld. So we know how the story ends. They go down there. Eventually, Hades relents, and Persephone's finally led back to Earth. But it is Hecate and her torches that light the way, that lead her back from the underworld okay. back to the regular earth. Um, and remember, since she did eat that single pomegranate seed from Hades in the underworld as her little like going away party road snack, <laughs> um, Persephone still has to return to the underworld once every year in the wintertime. Hecate is her guide every time. So every time she has okay. to go down, Hecate comes along with her, guides her along, which means she's serving as Persephone's psychopomp, which is an escort from the earth to the afterlife. I just thought that was kind of a cool <laughs> word. I wanted to work it in. But yeah, psychopomp. Psychopomp. All right. Psychopomp. So I mean, it sounds like a great punk band. I don't. I don't know what we do with it, but now, yeah. now we have that. So, those are the kind of good parts of the reputation. It gets a little darker by the time we get to the first century of the Common Era. This whole thing about these liminal spaces, the underworld, and Hecate begins to be associated more and more with the dark arts, with your witchcraft, your magic, your sorcery, and the reputation. I don't want to say it goes downhill. It just gets a little uglier. She becomes sort of takes on her worst potential form. She, she's, she takes on the form of, of a hag, which is, in fact, where we get that word. It's actually from the same root uh, as Hecate's name. Okay. One witch at the time refers to Hecate during this kind of darker reputational period as, quote, a rotting goddess with a pallid, decaying body who has to wear a mask even when she visits the gods in heaven. So apparently she is the only one left with a mask mandate at the time. And... Uh, I mentioned the triple form. So there's an epithet that she, in fact, shares uh, with your subject, Artemis slash Diana. And that epithet is the word trivia. So because she is this triple goddess, trivia is considered, it's actually, it's almost the original Holy Trinity. So even before mm -hmm. the sort of Christian Holy Trinity that we know of today, um, this would not happen until many years later, because right. of course the third member had yet to show up and, and join that band. But it's going to represent some kind of trio. Sometimes it's the, it's it's all three aspects of her. It's it's the sort of huntress, the moon, and the queen of the underworld. Sometimes it's it's a sort of triple combination of, of Diana slash Artemis, who represents the huntress, Luna, who represents the moon, right. Hecate, who represents the underworld. So whatever trio they come up with, this becomes this ubiquitous feature. It shows up in all these sacred groves. And it's particularly important at the, the, the point of a crossroad, especially where a crossroad splits into three different potential diverging paths. So I find it interesting because the crossroads really is at the time representative of the most important pivotal moments in your life. 
like where you really have to make a decision. You have to go from one place to the other. Right. Interestingly, over the years, of course, we know trivia has now come to mean essentially the opposite, the least important <laughs> right. stuff possible. So yeah. within this obscure mythology podcast, I am now finally connecting over 2000 years, the reversal of the word trivia from most important to least important. It only took a couple millennia, but <laughs> Andrew and, and listeners, you are welcome. There you go. Now, Hecate is also a virgin goddess, uh, unmarried over the centuries, had no real known consorts. <clears throat> of course, these stories always have some kind of exception. In this case, right. it was Hermes who chased Hecate with the aim of assaulting her, fortunately. But the goddess then, and I'm quoting here, snored or roared in anger, which frightened him off. So Hermes desisted. Okay. It earned her the nickname Brimo, which means angry and Rightly so, anybody right. would be. But the fact that it was either a snore or a roar that chased off the mighty right. Hermes, I think says, it suggests the power that, that, that she has. Yeah. Could have been a snore, could have been a roar. Either way, dude was yeah, out. Not, he's, he was out, yeah, good. So that's, that's having a, a full arsenal of tools at your disposal. So wrapping it up, I mean, Hecate, you know, for the details that we can piece together, clearly a goddess of great utility, Having this power all over the heavens, the earth, the underworld has influence both among the mortals and the immortals, has you know, a lot of beloved beloved followers and who who love her and fear her yeah. as this protector. Um, she really did push the sort of the dark arts, the boundaries of witchcraft. I mean, she is the mother of witchcraft. So a lot of that part of the underworld really does come from Hecate originally. And you know, it, for the purposes of this program, whenever we come to a crossroads in life like our current time, like the right. impetus of this show, it's good to have her on your side. So there's, there's, there's some points in her favor that says in these important moments, Hecate's good to have. So yeah. that's the case. That's the arc of her story. Uh, pretty interesting. Not the kind of big swing for the fences no. mythology stories that you're used to, but a good supporting character, a little bit of, of the light and the dark. She's a dark horse. Definitely. A dark horse is exactly right. She would agree. Dark horse, she is. Or a dark dog, depending on the day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> that will close part one of our program. Um, let's take a break. We'll be right back right. with round two, and we'll hear about Artemis. Excellent. So this week, I have Artemis, as you've mentioned, and she is goddess of the hunt, goddess of rivers, mountains, protector of newborns and young girls, also bringer of sudden death, oh. uh, and leader of nymphs and girls, and much more. Mm. Um, Artemis' name has a couple of different possible origins, including bear, as in the animal, mm -hmm. or meaning uninjured or pure. And the Roman version of her name, of course, is Diana, which means divine or heavenly. And as, as you mentioned in the first half, she's got some connections with Hecate. And it, it's interesting that you termed her as the light side of Hecate. Mm. As we go through these stories, we'll see how well that holds up. <laughs> well, the sudden death is certainly a foreshadowing. Yeah, yeah, it's a, dabbling so, in darkness to come. <laughs> yes, they're, they're, it's, it's, not all, it's not all light and, and sunshine here. <laughs> so uh, luckily for me, uh, Artemis origin story was told by Matt in episode three with the birth of Apollo, who is, of course, her twin brother. That's right. So for anyone who hasn't 
listen to that episode. Uh, give you the very short version here. Uh, and that is that Zeus uh, is their father mm. and the goddess Leto uh, their mother. Of course, Leto is not his wife Hera, and this provokes a jealous torment against Leto from Zeus's wife Hera, uh, which involves floating islands, a giant lizard monster, yes. uh, but everyone gets through it relatively unscathed, other than the the giant lizard monster who is quite scathed. Yeah, very, uh, <laughs> very scathed. Well, and Leto, I think, still has to give birth to them as fully grown adults wearing armor, so... She may have been a touch scathed herself. <laughs> she, may have, but... she may have had some scathing, yes. But definitely didn't get it as bad as the monster, so nice. I'll, I'll give her that, yeah. And, and as you recounted, uh, Artemis starts her career as in childbirth assist assistance right. uh, incredibly early there, assisting in the birth of her twin brother just after she herself is born. Yes. Um, and she continues with that precociousness, uh, as did her brother. So while she's still in childhood... Uh, she goes to her father, Zeus, sits on his lap, and makes a couple of requests, um, which come down to us. She, she asks never to marry and to remain a virgin. She asks to excel in archery. Hmm. She asks for a knee-length tunic. So, it, this so, is the, not, it's quite a writer. I mean, very specific. Yeah, not, so, not what I would expect. So, some, some of these are, are larger requests than others. That, <laughs> that's maybe the smaller one. Uh, she asks for hunting dogs. Sure. She asks for 80 immortal attendants. 80? Uh, yes, 60 ocean nymphs and 20 river nymphs. I mean, there were and, a lot of them, so I suppose Zeus could spare even that yeah. volume. It's just a lot to keep track of. Yeah, so, uh, and she asks for dominion over all of the mountains. Mm -hmm. So again, there's a range here from knee-length tunic to dominion over all of the mountains. <laughs> right. But, uh, and, you know, with a little nod of his head, Zeus grants all of her requests. Uh, now, having said that, these are the pre-delivery days. Uh, the only Amazons around were warrior women types <laughs> right. who were not particularly known for making door-to-door -door deliveries no. of anything save painful death. Um, <laughs> so Artemis has to go out and get most of these things herself. Save may maybe the knee-length tunic. Maybe they just brought that one to her. That, yeah, uh, we'll give but, you that one kind of out of the gate. <laughs> but, you know, with the old man's permission, she goes out, she gets her attendants, she gets her hunting dogs, she gets her uh, bow from the Cyclopes, and uh, she also acquires a chariot pulled by stags. So she's nice. got all this, and she's equipped and ready to go out and uh, be a goddess out there on her own. And as a goddess of the hunt... Uh, Artemis also has an aspect as a nature goddess mm -hmm. and was especially worshipped in these mountain mountainous areas in the mountainous interior of mainland Greece. Um, and she has association with a bunch of uh, particular mountains and rivers. And that's where her, she and her retinue uh, of 80 nymphs, plus some mortal female followers, spent most of their time. Of course, being away from civilization... Uh, doesn't actually end up meaning a lack of drama. Most often uh, brought about by men or male gods uh, behaving poorly. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yep. So uh, from Pausinius, who's uh, the Greek travel writer we've discussed many times before, uh, one such case developed with the river god Alpheus. 
So Alpheus is the god of the river, Alpheus. Mm -hmm. uh, so that checks out. And Alpheus was in love with Artemis, but, you know, becomes pretty quickly clear that she's not, not interested in him in that way. Uh, unfortunately, Alpheus is not respectful of that decision and turns a little bit stalker. So Artemis is going to have an all-night party with her entourage out in the woods. Assuming, you know, after a day of hunting, they're going to have a, have a little gathering. Sure. But, but she's already picked up on Alpheus's creep vibe. Mm -hmm. So she, just, she doesn't want to deal with it. So what she does is uh, she smears her face with mud and has all of her attendants smear their faces with mud. So when he shows up, you know, with the intention of abducting her, he can't figure out who she is, and he just oh. gives up. So now, uh, <laughs> clever. So Al yes, Alpheus, you know, as it turns out, apparently is a little bit dim as mm. well as being a creep. Yeah, uh, because we are told a number of times that Al that Artemis is a good head taller than any of her attendants. <laughs> so. You would think just the mud. The mud, he doesn't. Trick, uh, oh, she, she's the one fella. who's a foot taller than everybody else. Right. But uh, with with without that knowledge, he is he is thus thwarted. Now, undoubtedly, it was actually to Alpheus' advantage that Artemis didn't feel like dealing with his BS because she probably it probably would have gone quite badly for him. Oh yeah, uh, had had things uh, gone any further, and it's also generally against Artemis' usual mode of operation, which had a tendency towards wrathful violence. <laughs> so famously, uh, one case where the resolution for a trespasser was a tad more confrontational was uh, with Actian. So Actian was the grandson of Cadmus, founder of Thebes, and uh, Actian was an avid hunter. So after a good day's hunt, He's out with his own revenue, his own retinue, sorry, uh, ambling uh, through the forest while his men are busy picking up the gear, uh, you know, practicing a little pack it in, pack it out. Sure. Um, yeah. Classic. But as the fates would have it, Artemis is also decompressing nearby after a hunt, bathing with her attendants. Mm. So Actian rounds the corner, and there is a hidden pool where the goddess and her attendants are bathing. And we'll pick this up from Ovid and Metamorphosis. And he says, As soon as he reached the cave mouth, the naked nymphs, seeing a man's face, fill the whole wood with their sudden outcry. Crowd, they crowd around Artemis to hide her with their bodies. But the goddess stood head and shoulders above all the others. Artemis' face, seen there, while she herself was naked, was the color of the clouds stained by the dawn. So, face turns all red. They're gathering around trying to protect her. Artemis looks for her arrows, but they're too far away. Mm. So she grabs a handful of water. All right, and we go back from Ovid. And threw it in the man's face. And as she sprinkled his hair with the vengeful drops, she added these words, harbingers of his coming ruin. Now you may tell... If you can tell, that is, of having seen me naked. Without more threats, she gave the horns of mature stag to the head she had sprinkled, lengthening his neck, making his ear tips pointed, and changing his feet for hands, long legs for arms, 
covering his body with a dappled hide. So Actian wow. has been turned into a stag. Uh, and, you know, as he's sitting there kind of trying to process that fact yeah. uh, that he's changed species, <laughs> his own hunting dogs catch his new scent oh. and track him down and rip him to pieces. Brilliant. Bravo. So, That's fantastic. Yes. The, uh, so now as Zavid pr- presents that situation, it was an accidental look at the naked goddess. Hmm. Other accounts uh, depicted as more of a deliberate peeping situation. But, you know, we'll probably never know as Artemis on this occasion was in more of a transform into an animal first, ask questions <laughs> later mode. And sometimes we're all in that mode. Yeah, who has? Yeah, that's right. That's right. G- given yeah. the nature of men in these stories, the accidental thing, I, I don't buy much into that. Yeah, this, you know, it yeah. all seems pretty intentional. So good honor. So, uh, you know, other versions also have Actian uh, bragging about his hunting skills, exceeding Artemis. You know, maybe he did that just as his vocal cords were changing into a deer's. <laughs> his last words. I'm also a better hunter. Yeah, just a, a last wave of hubris before yeah. the, uh, the bestial part kicks in. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, and because of situations like this, Artemis is in some ways one of the more polarizing deities that we've come across. And this is reflected in, you know, this disagreement between the various versions of her myths, uh, with different endings painting her in somewhat different lights. You know, there's no disagreement uh, that wrath is the go-to move for Artemis. <laughs> Sounds that way. Uh, just the degrees of the wrath and the justification. Hmm. So overall, I found four main reasons for Artemis to pull out the wrath. Okay. Uh, looking at her story. Reason one we saw in the Apollo episode, uh, which was any disrespect to the family. Yeah, uh, that's right. Especially her mother, Leto. Yeah. And that comes up in the Niobium incident, where Artemis makes quick work of Niobe's seven daughters, while Apollo took the seven boys. That's right. After uh, Niobe had insulted their mother. Hubris, of course, is the second reason for wrath. Mm-hmm. Uh Arguably, it's an aspect in most of the Wrath stories, uh, but one of the most famous cases uh, were, were her Wrath against Agamemnon. Agamemnon is gathering his army and their fleet, getting ready to set, sail off for Troy. So this is just the very beginning of that whole episode. Uh, you know, He's going to go help his baby brother get his wife, Helen, formerly of Sparta, back. And... The princes are there, and they have a little hunt to build up the camaraderie, you know, a little team-building exercise. That's right. Yeah, a little head- off-site. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Before head- heading off uh, for the war. Uh, and actually, they have a very, very good day hunting, hmm. unfortunately, for Agamemnon, because he's oh. feeling himself, and he brags that not even Artemis is as good a hunter as he is. Oh. So he's already set off the hubris alarms. <laughs> The Ar- yeah. Artemis. But then he adds to it. That night, there's a sacrifice. Uh, and the sacrifice dedicated to Artemis is considered subpar. Mm-hmm. In one story, it's a pregnant sheep. Now, Artemis, of course, is protector of baby animals. Yeah. So this is a second affront. Yeah. And uh, it detonates another wrath tripwire with Artemis. <laughs> so reason that is reason number three. Inadequate homage and sacrifice 
you know, and we've learned a lot about exponential growth mm-hmm. in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And so this would appear to be another of those situations where the two offenses multiply each other. And pretty soon we're, we're off the charts with Artemis. So what she does is she convinces Boreas, who is the god of the North Wind, to blow into the harbor and keep the Greek fleet bottled up and prevent them from sailing, setting sail to Troy. And they keep this up for a while. Eventually, Agamemnon calls in some professional divination, and he's told it's Artemis. You know, she, she's mad. She's mm-hmm. not going to let the fleet set sail unless you sacrifice your youngest daughter. Ooh. So Agamemnon, being Agamemnon, says, okay, as long as it's not me. <laughs> um, and he goes out to the cliffs. He gathers a crowd of the Greek soldiers who are waiting to go off to Troy and brings out his daughter, Ephigenia. He was told that it's going to be announced who she's betrothed to, and that's why they're having this big ceremony. Oh. So It's a fake out already. Yeah, so he gets oh. up there. They have the priests and the sacrificial <laughs> knives. And Ephigenia is no dummy. She figures out, you know, what's what's about to happen. Yeah. She cries out. She's looking around imploringly. But nobody can meet her eye. And all the Greek soldiers just look away. They can't watch. Mm. And then Eggmemnon kills her. Oh. Placating Artemis. Or maybe not. Uh, Aeschylus, in his... Uh, in his story of this, uh, he's the Greek play- playwright, right. has Ephigenia die there because it's important to the plot of his plays. <laughs> but other stories have Artemis come in at the last moment and swoop Ephigenia away, making her one of her priests around the Black Sea or making her an, an immortal member of her entourage. So Aeschylus knew what a better ending would be there, I think. The, yes. uh, the original ending, the historical ending, less dramatically satisfying. Yes. Yeah, so that, that in, in, in his version, uh, when he comes back from the Trojan War, his wife, uh, Clamnestra, is waiting there and has been plotting uh, to get her revenge for 10 years. So, uh, but, so that's the third tr- uh, wrath trigger which we saw perhaps with the Ephigenia story about the lack of proper sacrifice, indicating a lack of proper respect for yeah. Artemis. But the quintessential story on Artemis' wrath due to improper sacrifice is actually the Caledonian boar. So again, via Ovid in the Metamorphosis, uh, we get this. The king of Caledon, they say, made offerings from a successful harvest of a full year of the first fruit of the crops to Demeter, of wine to Dionysus, of oil from the olives to the golden Athena. Honor they desire was paid to all the gods, beginning with the rural deities. Only Artemis' altar was passed by, neglected. Oh, boy. Yeah, so Artemis basically says, yeah, I'm not going to stand for this. And uh, she's spurned, and she uh, sends an avenging wild boar. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to give Ovid's a description of the wild boar because I think you have to kind of uh, this is not a regular wild boar so <laughs> Ovid says its eyes glowed with bloodshot fire its neck was stiff with bristles the hairs on its hide 
bristled stiffly like spear shafts. Just as the palisade stands, so the hares stood like tall spears. Ovid really wants us to get that its hairs were like spears. Just, just so we're clear on that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> he's, he's a couple times. So <laughs> he goes on, he says, hot foam flecked from the broad shoulders, from its horse grunting. Its tusks were the size of an elephant's. Lightning came from its mouth, and leaves were scorched by its breath. So wow. this is not Babe, Pig in the City. No. <laughs> it's not Wilbur. <laughs> this this is, is is a monster in the shape of a boar. Yes. It's been sent by Artemis. And it tears through the crops that are waiting to be harvested. It tramples the grain. It tears the down the grapevines, brings down the olive branches and olive trees, uh, then goes after the cattle, and the people are forced to hide uh, behind the walls of the town, unable to take in the harvest. So... The king calls upon the local hero, Maleager, to mm. kill the boar, who we met in episode five. And Maleager s- assembles an all-star team of Greek heroes of that <laughs> time, which is kind of the, the generation right before the, the Trojan War, including uh, the female huntress, Atalanta. So the hunt is a bloody affair. A number of the heroes are killed. Artemis intervenes a couple times on the boar's side just to prolong everything eventually it's atlanta atalanta who draws first blood and maleager who kills the boar now uh this will go into what what happened in episode five but a fight ensues over the trophies from the kill ultimately with tragic results um so that's uh reason number three now reason number four for wrath was protecting her virginity and the virginity of her retinue. And we saw that with Actian, as well as some undoubtedly more clearly guilty men, uh, as well as some of her followers. Uh, the followers generally just get booted out of uh, the club, yeah. unless they hide their actions, in which case they risk, uh, at least in one case, being transformed into a bear. Yeah, so the, the cover-up sometimes being worse than the, uh, the would-be crime. Yes, yes hmm. exactly. And a side note on Atalanta, uh, her backstory is an example that shows the non-wrath side of Artemis. Uh, in this case, uh, lending a hand to someone. Atalanta was exposed as an infant, uh, left to die by her father. Um, so Artemis, who is the protector of infants, uh, handles the situation by sending in a she-bear to nurse the baby. As one does. Sure. I mean, uh, yeah, so eventually, uh, some hunters uh, find the baby and raise her as a huntress, uh, which she excelled at quite uh, quite a bit. Hmm. So that that is the other side to Artemis as the benefactor. Uh, she also has a habit of adding girls who have died in heroic or unjust ways to hmm. her retinue, uh, granting them immortality by apotheosis uh, a girl named Britomartis, who died fleeing her would-be attacker was added heracles daughter who died sacrificing herself for the city of athens and of course perhaps iphigenia who died because her dad was a braggart who really wanted to sack troy yeah so um and 
you know, as, as you said, there, even though uh, Artemis is renowned as a virgin goddess, there is at least one potential uh, love story for Artemis. Hmm. Uh, there are many versions of the story about Orion, the hunter, uh, but one version of Orion, uh, he was the only man who Artemis could maybe, possibly, potentially one day see herself maybe falling in love with. Okay. Um, now, that would have violated her oath of chastity. Uh, so Artemis' twin brother, Apollo, decides that there are indeed no take-backs in the mythological world. <laughs> so he solved this problem not by, you know, taking anyone aside, talking about the possible repercussions, reasoning through the situation, uh, and actually not by killing Orion. So... What he does is he goes to Orion and he challenges him to swim out as far as he can into the GNC. <laughs> you know, and Orion wants to impress Apollo, who he thinks, sure. well, he's a god and he might be my future uh, brother-in-law. That's so right. He starts, he swims way, 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 way out. And then Apollo calls Artemis down to the beach and starts challenging her archery pr prowess. Mm. You know, and she's prideful. She gets worked up. So Paul says, I bet you can't hit that tiny dot <laughs> no. out there on the horizon. Oh, and of course, Artemis shoots <laughs> and hits the target, realizing afterward that it was Orion when his body washes up to shore. Oh, brutal. Making, and then she makes him the famous constellation with the prominent belt in her grief. Oh, so, that's, I mean, some consolation prize, I guess. But, yes. Oh, come on, man. Talk about just just crappy sibling rivalry right there. That <laughs> well, is you ruthless. know, ruthless. Uh, she, of course, Artemis doesn't let it rest there. No, well, uh, in retaliation, she kills Apollo's girlfriend, Cronus. <laughs> okay. All who right. is the mother of uh, Asclepius. Yes. So uh, I guess that's actually the, the fifth reason for wrath, wrath uh, tricking her into killing her crush. Uh, with an arrow. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad that that story didn't just end there. And it doesn't feel like knowing what we know now about Artemis, that she would just shrug her shoulders and walk <laughs> away. So no, that feels right. <laughs> yeah, that, I think that, that one works out. So in terms of worship, uh, there are actually there are many shrines to Artemis all over the Greco-Roman world. Ephesius, uh, which is uh, in Asia Minor, now Turkey, uh, had a giant temple to Artemis, considered to be one of the wonders of the ancient world. In Athens, there was a festival on her behalf uh, with a parade where girls 5 to 10 uh, would dress in saffron robes uh, of some sort and kind of a bear costume and, quote, act the bear. Uh, and this was to appease the goddess after she had sent a plague on the town because a bear sacred to her had been killed. <laughs> so I guess that's actually the Sith sixth wrath trigger this, this, this list Kid, is getting, <laughs> just keeps going pretty extensive yeah. killing her bear and then uh diana in, in the roman tradition had a temple in rome and in the hills outside of rome in a place called nemi and nemi had a tradition of offering refuge to escaped slaves and fugitives mm -hmm. and in legend at least the head priest of the nemi temple was always an escaped slave. Hmm. And the only way to become the new head priest of Nemi 
was to challenge the current head priest in one-on-one combat to the death. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's Artemis, goddess of the hunt, nature lover, defender of girls, prideful goddess, and uh, lover of wrath. Lover of wrath. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, my entire worldview of uh, one of these cats split to the left and one, one to the right in terms of light and dark, that whole, <laughs> that whole paradigm is completely overturned now. Yeah. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, this will be quite quite a battle uh, in yes. our in our coming categories. So, let's gear up for those, and uh, we'll rejoin with our five questions right on the other right. side of this break. All right, and now we are set for the five categories. We have five categories, which will help us determine which of these goddesses moves on to the golden goat round. First category being immortal combat. And that is, of course, a physical confrontation between these two goddesses. Um, And I'll go first uh, with the the good and bad of Artemis. So, obviously, Artemis was very skilled with a bow. Hit a little tiny dot way out there in the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it, yeah. Uh, also the spear. Mm-hmm. She had hunting dogs, uh, which, you know, are special keen, you know, amped up hunting dogs. Yeah, they've got skills. Yeah, had a chariot pulled by stags, uh, assuming it was pretty fast. Uh, you know, sometimes when we have these discussions, you know, we, we worry about the deity's willingness to fight or their brand. Right. I don't think that's an issue here. Without question in this category. <laughs> I, don't, I, I, think, I think she's set to go. Nothing further, Your Honor. Honor. Yeah. Making of that case, yes. Right. And we actually have two stories uh, where she fought a couple of formidable opponents. Uh, so this one, which I'll give kind of briefly, uh, Poseidon apparently had two sons who, who were giants called the Elodi. And the boys according to the legend, grew two feet wider every year and six feet taller every year. Okay. So by the time they were nine, they're 18 feet across and 54 feet tall. Don't make me do that and... math in Roman numerals. I can't do it. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> big. <laughs> they're, they're, they're pretty big. And and they decided, to, you know, as nine-year-olds, to storm Olympus. Sure. Uh, Ooh, that's 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 a tough target. Even... And it was said that they the two were invulnerable to everyone except each other. Oh, wow. So Artemis transforms herself into a deer and runs between them. And they both throw their spears oh. at the deer and sh- missing her, but hitting and killing each other. I love it. Just, so, just good smarts in the moment. Good yeah. strategy. Well done. Transforming yourself in, in, into deer. But there's one that takes a little bit of the shine off that uh, story. Uh, so, in uh, the Iliad, Artemis has a fight with Hera. She she's taunting Hera. She's she's yelling at her, and Hera comes down, takes the bow out of Artemis's hands, and whacks her upside the head with it a couple times, sending her crying to her mother. <laughs> so. Not not quite the operatic level of violence that I've uh, grown accustomed to over the course of this episode, but no. sometimes you just need a whack upside the head, don't you? Yeah. So 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 some good and some bad. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Hecate, you know, has has the the feather in her cap of slaying the giant Clytius back in the Gigantomachy. 
um, using her torches. So clearly those are powerful weapons, not yeah. just for looking out and trying to find things, but waging war. Um, there are some accounts, and we talked about the, 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 the traditional, the known story of getting Persephone out of the underworld where Hades essentially allowed it to happen. Hermes was, was part of that mix. There are some accounts and some ancient artwork that actually have Hecate rescuing Persephone on her own from the underworld single-handedly. Okay. And she's pictured cleaving the earth and leading her out so she could escape. So I don't think that's the predominant narrative. That's more of the alternate history uh-huh. version of it. Um, but there's some, some strength and some power to that as well, if, it, if there's any truth to it. Um, one advantage in, in Immortal Combat is that there are three of her which yeah. is always good in a fight. So if there's, if you're coming down to hand to hand combat and you have six hands, that's, that's an advantage. Yeah, for sure. Um, the advantage in terms of peripheral vision would be very good. <laughs> if you can look in every direction yeah. at once. So she's, she's got that. Um, I too like to consider the entourage. Um, and you, you, you mentioned, you know, the chariot and, and some of those aspects uh, in this case, I don't know the, 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 the angry little dog, the pole cats, the, <laughs> <laughs> the bloodfish. I don't think they're going to help a whole lot in this battle. Yeah, the bloodfish. <laughs> no, I mean they could dispose of a corpse afterward, but in terms of waging the actual battle, very, very little help. Uh, they might be able to come when you call them if you've <laughs> trained them for years, but they'll expect to be fed. So, uh, not much help there. And I guess you know, I, my initial thought on this was since it, in my previous thinking, Hecate and Artemis had so much in common at the beginning, and then sort of <laughs> devolved into the light and the dark. I was going to pose this profound philosophical question of, well, it really just kind of comes down to what do you believe in? Who's going to win, you know, good or, or evil. And clearly it's not as simple as one of those two binary choices for either of those. Um, But I have to say, while there is great power in the sort of witchcraft notion, and while Hecate is very well-respected and well-renowned for the protective aspect that she provides, the actual instances of her doing, you know, accomplishing things with the witchcraft are fairly modest. You know, it is a sort of, well, I'll turn you into an animal, but you can still stay my pet. <laughs> uh, so I feel like the, there's the, as we've discussed before, there's the weapon and then there's the willingness to really use it to right. its maximum capacity. And in this case, I feel like there is great strength to the witchcraft, but we don't have examples of it being used in that advantageous a way right. in a one-on-one confrontation. So given all that, given the, several instances of very impressive strategic <laughs> wrathful moves uh i definitely have to give artemis the uh, the edge on this one right yeah i, I think that that idea of which one's the light and which one's the dark is maybe more complicated than a little bit yes <laughs> i think if we, if we take any lesson away from this program yeah is that is always the case but even among mixed bags i think that mixed bag is is weighted more heavily toward artemis in terms of one-on-one combat. Oh yeah, I, 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 that that part I don't think is is that that complicated. You know, uh, the the Hera thing's a little embarrassing, but I I, I don't I don't think uh, Hecate rises to that uh, no. to the to that level. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna give it to Artemis. On Definitely, this very good. All right, and in our second category, we have curriculum deity. Which is uh, which goddess would you rather be? Which one would you rather follow? Who has the biggest it factor? Right. And uh, I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah. So, as far as who I'd rather be, I mean, I would love to have three of myself. We can, <laughs> we can get behind that. I think there's, you know, a little extra food, a little extra laundry, but it would be made up for in just the productivity, 
the the ability. There's so much you could you could pull off if you had right. a, if you lived in triplicate. Uh, so there's some points there. Um, I also envy Hecate's ability to feel comfortable everywhere in every part of the universe. I you know these days I really only enjoy being at home. Maybe Wrigley Field, maybe Napa from nine time to time. That's kind of it. Everywhere else I'm fairly uncomfortable. So. The, the ability to just move in and out, to be this sort of liminal person who can deal with any person, any place. Um, I, I have some, some envy for that. Yeah. Um, it, would become, it would come in handy to, have, to be able to, to, to give spells, to cast spells, to keep demons away, to sick demons on people. Uh, again, not a huge amount of stories where that's done, um, but it's nice to think about. Yeah. You know, if I get a little wrathful, if I could just <laughs> sort of wrestle up some demons and throw that in the mix, yeah. that would be great. Um, then again, you know, Hecate does spend a decent amount of time in the underworld, which, as we've talked about many times before, Not seems pleasant. like a real drag. So yeah. that's just a place you don't want to spend a lot of time. That's a big part of her job. Uh, that's not great. Being a lifelong virgin also, as we've talked about before, you know, not really what I would hope for myself. That's going to that's going to even out, I think, in this competition, yeah. that aspect of it, clearly. Um, when the occasional attacker can be either roared or snored away. That's good. Yeah. But other than that, you know, I, I don't think I'd want that life and I would not care. I'll put, I'll be on the record for this. I, I would not care for people burning or eating puppies in my name. I, <laughs> I will say that publicly. No, thank you. So mixed bag on B in terms of following, you know, Hecate had a, her call was a pretty big deal uh, in terms of, of longevity. Now she had shrines everywhere, but it was more of like a franchise model. You know, there were, there were these small shrines at the crossroads and the home, as we talked about lots of temples all over Greece. Yep. Um, there was a big one at, at Legina in Greece, which was essentially her own theor- theocratic city state had a huge festival every okay. year. I call it the original trivia night, which I think I'm sure it was part <laughs> of the branding. Um, it was served year round by Unix, which is always a good time. Those guys know how to throw a party. Yeah. Um, but she was she was sort of franchised out to other temples so that she would have an altar in the temple for Apollo or the temple for Athena. So there was there was always sort of an installation, like a round altar in her name. That, she, that So there was lots of she was she was in many places. So good, good availability, good convenience. If I'm thinking about worshiping, right. um, you know, again, from a branding perspective, kind of has it all. She's got these great symbols. She's got her signature sound. Her statue is essentially a piece of branded merchandise that you can put <laughs> all throughout your home, great annual event, the occasional magic shows. So a lot to, to like in terms of being the uh, the person or the, the, the deity that I'm worshiping. Yeah. More importantly, though, the worship of Hecate is not an abstract concept because as the mother of witchcraft, you know, witchcraft remains in practice today. Right. So to this day, there are people among us who are worshiping Hecate you know, to this very right. day. In fact, a little bit of research I found, they actually, they describe it not as worshiping, but working with Hecate. All right. Yeah. Like they're, you know, Always. hiring a consultant or a freelance. <laughs> like, yeah, you, you should work with Hecate. She's all right. Um, what they say is, you know, the, the language is something like, if you, whether or not you've chosen Hecate as your maternal goddess or not, she's a powerful deity to work into your magical practice. So the internet is full of tips for active witches to give them <laughs> suggestions. Like, hey, make a little altar in your home for Hecate or you know, do a ritual at a crossroads, practice good canine care, which I was relieved to see uh, involves, you know, either taking good care of your pet or if you need to make a donation to a local shelter, even better. So more of a 21st century canine care type of worship. Yes. Than than, than the old ways. Second century BC. (laughs) Yes. Uh, So, you know, it's fascinating. I do think that clearly there's enough to like about Hecate as a follower 
that she remains in that practice today. Yeah. Again, it, it wouldn't really be my bag necessarily, but plenty of witches today feel differently. So I'll give her props for that. All right. Uh, very interesting. So on, on uh, this one for Artemis, uh, you know, she very much had had the entourage. Uh, you know, she had the 20 nymphs, the naiads who were the river nymphs. And those were her hunting companions. Mm-hmm. They would actually go on the hunt. And then there's the six, 60 ocean nymphs. And they're more like for the party afterwards. And they're kind of taking care of base camp. Right. Uh, plus, she had various uh, other mortal uh, girls who, who would be invited into this or immortal uh, girls that she had uh, made into immortals. Um, she lives out in the forest. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of a, a a lot of camping, mm-hmm. lots and lots of camping. It's permanently camping. So, you know, I, I enjoy camping. I don't know if I want to live out there, you know. I but mean, if, if you had like 80 assistants, it would yeah, be much there you more go. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah, you're, you're probably, probably not roughing it that, that much, no. really. I'm sure it would be better than the camping trip that you and I took <laughs> in 1993. We, will, we won't go. That's off the no, top. We will not. For, for this, but we had yeah. no assistance. In fact, <laughs> negative assistance. But please. Yeah. Uh, you know, she has a. De- decent uh, family relationships, you know, despite some maybe sibling dysfunction in the in the Orion incident. Um, got some anger issues. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. She's she's kind of kind of working through. Um, and then on, on the following side, you know, I, I mentioned uh, there's that festival in Athens with the mm-hmm. uh, little girls dressed up as bears, which seems like kind of an adorable sure. little festival. You know. Yeah. Um, there was another in Sparta where teen boys were whipped on the altar, uh, to cover it with blood, uh, in order to recall earlier human sacrifices. Okay. Wow. Okay. So a variety of types of, of yeah, themes. So, um, yeah. And then we get one, uh, from, uh, Pasinius, and this is a festival in the town of Patras. Hmm. And he says, on the first day, people walked up in procession of greatest grandeur for the goddess a virgin pre- priestess was brought up the rear riding a chariot which was drawn by tame yoked deer and the next day living animals were sacrificed including edible birds boars deer gazelles wolves bears uh, an altar was set on fire and the animals were forced out by the first leap of the flames or escaping were then thrown back into the fire Ooh. to their death by the crowd. <laughs> so you get so. you get one escape, but after that, yes, no reduced. Yeah, yeah. And, but though, according to Pausanias, there was no no record of injury by any of the animals. So okay, you know, so that that's not my kind of really festival. No, no, <laughs> doesn't sound like a good jam. No, no, not not real, not real pleasant on that one. Uh, you know, so so it's just kind of a mixed bag on this. Um. You know, one, one question on the art on Hecate, you got the three. Yeah. Um, like, can one of them do the work for you? And I, I, I assume so. We didn't, uh, we don't have records to give us a lot of detail on that, but yeah. Uh, I, you I choose I, to be one of the ones that's not working. Well, importantly, <laughs> they were always pictured in, they were still separate bodies just standing around the pole. So it wasn't yeah. like they were, you know, conjoined triplets. Where yeah. They yeah, yeah. just have to drag each other around. They were clearly okay. still autonomous beings. So, yeah. Okay. I would assume. Uh, you could, yeah, you could, one could just take a week off. The other could uh, do the chores. You could work it out. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I think I'm going to go with Hecate on this one. Really? Yeah. I, 
think I am. I I don't think I will join you there. I think okay. I'm actually going uh, going with Artemis on that one. I think uh, all that great companionship, you know, all the outdoors, okay. uh, the you know, a lot of good in her world. The you know, at least having. I, I don't sense that that Hecate had much in the way of family or friends. I think there okay. were worshippers. There were sort of colleagues like Helios or. You know, in a strange way, Hermes and Hades, which was definitely more of a frenemy situation yeah. given their, their misdeeds. Um, but she seems kind of lonely. And I feel like that was a big a big part of why she was consistently cooking up ways to cast spells and and, and get into the dark arts. So, yeah, I okay. think uh, all those things, all being said, I think Artemis gets my vote on this one. All right. All right. So we have we have a uh, we have a draw. So uh, one uh, one for Artemis and one draw. And that brings us to our third category which is good god and uh i'll take the take the lead on this one uh Mm -hmm. again another another mixed bag uh here uh you know artemis had some really important duties regarding childbirth protecting infants of course in some cases with all these uh she would choose not to yes uh, and and (laughs) and be the bringer of, of, of sudden death uh uh, you know, if if something uh, wasn't quite to her liking, uh, obviously there's there's a lot of wrath, but it has various degrees of justification mm-hmm. uh, in in different cases. Um, you know, so so sometimes it's a just vengeance, and uh, she added those girls, you know, who clearly got a raw deal to to her retinue. Sure. Um, Gave him immortality, um, you know. And uh, Diana had a festival in that Nemi temple outside of Rome, uh, with the procession from Rome to Lake Nemi, and that was a sanctuary for outlaws and uh, enslaved people. And that was actually a mid-August festival, but it was interestingly shared with Hecate. Is that right? So- yeah, so, that, so so they had that festival, but it was you know uh, a sanctuary that uh, took care of uh, uh, outlaws and then formerly enslaved people. So big know. big character points for that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, mixed bag on Hecate's side too. I think clearly mostly a protector, um, with the occasional, as we said, darker spell, and and similar to uh, to Artemis, if she wanted to withhold her protection, she certainly uh, had that right and would occasionally exercise it. Um, she scores points for helping both Demeter and Persephone yeah. uh, in their times of need. Clearly, they were both uh, on the short end of the stick and needed help, and, and she helped them both out uh, and continued to in the case of Persephone and being her, again, psychopomp. So there's some points there. Um, mostly a friend of the animals, I think, in the case of... <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, she'd turn you into a dog, but she'd make you her pet. And, you know, the other side of the dog story, a little bit less, but I, I can't entirely blame her for that. That would be, people knew that that was important to her, the sacrifice element of it. It's unclear if she, how she reconciled both of her right. love of dogs and, and their utility in her worship. Um, clearly a connector of different places, different people as that, as that, you know, lim- liminal God who could exist in, in, in all these different environments. Um, and again, you know, the fact that she turned the Queen of Troy into a mean dog, but took her on afterward shows that she's got both the sort of balance of vengeance and, I guess, compassion yeah. in the end. Um, this is a tough one because it, it almost comes down to a philosophical battle of what character means in terms of, is it about 
maintaining the status quo and being a protector, or is it more about having a firm set of principles that you will actively exercise to achieve something good in the world? Uh, I think that the latter of those two feels to me like the the better definition of character, much more active, uh, even if it's not a perfect record. I think in that case, I think Artemis gets gets my nod on this one. Uh, not to say that there wasn't a lot of good in where Hecate was coming from, but I think any, everybody can agree there was a good and a bad side to her. Right. Whereas in the case of Artemis, it feels like she was motivated by important principles. She stood her ground. She always had reasons for doing what she did. Yeah. Um, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, you you have, I think, and one of the things that Stokoe Artemis is, right, so you have, you have the Niobe thing mm. where both her and Apollo come out pretty poorly. Yeah. Uh, really. Um, and then you have the Ephigenia thing and it's like, well, which, which version kind of do you really believe about that? Right. Did, right. did she grant her immortality or, or did she just say, all right, well, I'm going to punish your dad by, by having, having, uh, him sacrifice you. So, so it's a, it's a tough one to kind of think what, what's, what's the most consistent, uh, version of her. And, and then again, you said, if we're, if we're inviting somebody back, is you know uh, a little bit of a loose cannon, uh, mm, a wild and, card. Yes. Yeah, a little, a little <laughs> bit of a wild card uh, com- coming back. But but she does have you know uh, that sense of righteousness and and, mm. and uh, uh, a harsh justice. Uh, so I I, I guess I, I'm uh, I'm, I'm going to go with, with with Artemis here. Uh, even though it bucks a little bit of our trend of, of not rewarding, not rewarding the wrathfulness, but uh, <laughs> but for good principles, you know. Yes, so uh, stand up for the family, mostly. <laughs> yeah, so. All right, good. that that brings us to iconography, and uh, I believe that this one uh, have you have you take Hecate first. Yeah. So one one interesting little little lasting notion of of her legacy is that in a strange way, she's responsible for the term jinx, but it's in a very unexpected way. So there's a medieval commenter who was talking about this, and it's similar to some of those those Ovid tellings where it really is the richness of the language that gets the point across. There's something about this this phrase that I would never have been able to write, but it really jumps off the page. So the jinx was a device that that Hecate would wield, uh, an instrument, if you will, And it is, and I'm quoting, a bull roarer consisting of a golden sphere decorated throughout with symbols and whirled on an oxhide thong. Now, it's not clear what she did with this, but it wasn't going to be good. She would whirl this sort of (laughs) sphere on a, you know, so it's only associated really with with Hecate. You don't hear really about this this instrument in any other parts of history because apparently the whole golden ball whirled around on a thong didn't quite catch on as as a, as a weapon for others, yeah. but it was known at least in the original Greek as, as, as a jinx. So whatever it did, it put some sort of spell on you that wasn't going to be good. Okay. Um, even so this interesting story, the lasting nature of the legacy, since <laughs> I, not many of us are wielding modern day jinxes, no debatable. Um, <clears throat> certainly her influence lasted much longer as we said, than the ancient gods, you know, we talked about some of the modern day, uh, since you chose her as as is your preference to worship, I, I invite you. I have a, a series of websites that I've that I bookmarked <laughs> that I can give you immediate advice if you'd like to do that. Excellent, yourself. take that up. Yeah, yeah. But uh, 
even dating into into somewhat modern times, there was something called there was an emerging legend complex. It was called the Society of Diana, where these these legions of women would get together. And this is in northern Italy, southern Germany, the Western Balkans, and they would do, they would gather around the moon, they would do their witchcraft, and it went into like the early 1800s. So it was a okay. fairly pronounced movement, had a very good run for all the centuries after that. Um, so clearly a lasting influence there. I do have to, I, this may have some overlap because the, since it was the Society of Diana, yeah. Artemis is sort of part of that club too. So we have to kind of split the credit on that one. All right. Um, but it also leads us to something called the Blackburn Cult in 1929 Los Angeles, uh, which they went old school. There was this, there was a legit cult in the late 20s in LA that decided to do it the old way. They did the dog sacrifices. They took one of their so-called queens, bought, buried her body and burned it along with the sacrificed dogs. It was broken up because it yeah. was running very afoul of American law, even at that time. Um, but it's pretty fascinating that even that late into history, they're looking back at the old ways and, and there were enough kooks out there who were still going to practice that. So that is a legacy. <laughs> it's something. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, big in the witchcraft world, you've got modern witchcraft, neo-paganism, Wicca. And beyond that, you know, not as, as prominent a legacy in terms of the name carried forward. You do see a lot of you know, the, the common answers to this question among some of these other deities where you've got, you know, Hecate is the name of an Australian feminist academic journal, naturally. <laughs> I'm sure we both subscribe to that. Uh, there's a few Royal Navy ships. There's an asteroid named after, okay. and there is a French sniper rifle. All right. Now, nice. normally this would be my cue to make some kind of tongue-in-cheek joke about the French military. I'm not going to do that this time. <laughs> We're on the good side of the French. They did good this week, so I'm going <laughs> to respectfully... Leave that joke out of it and say, "Excellent." Wield your French sniper rifle, Hecates, as much as you like, my French friends. So, a decent smattering of legacy there in terms of long-lastingness. There's there's some power, but uh, not as not as earth-shattering as some of our other contestants. Right, and you you probably uh, wouldn't have come across this one. I do. I have one that I've come across in in my in my daily life uh, because uh, you know I have a I have a daughter. Um, in the latest version of Sabrina, the Teenage Witch, I, I, okay. Uh, in one of the later seasons, they trade their worship of Satan for Hecate. Oh, I mean, that's. Uh, I guess that's better. <laughs> yes, that it, it's you know it, it's a female coven, and they just feel like that's yeah, more. It's okay. more in their style. So yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it is true. There, there, there are kind of versions of that name in in Dune, which which I read and saw the movie of last year. Yep. There's a version of that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, often a branch with Ms. Marvel, I believe. So it's okay. a common sort of vessel that some of these characters can fill, but not really the not the incarnation of Hecate, which sounds like this is the literal version that you're describing. Yeah. yeah so uh, thank you for catching me up on that. I'm way behind on, on my Sabrina, yeah. and I, I, I thank you for catching me up. There you go. All right. So um, are we, I think I'll start with Artemis. Uh, yeah. You know, and, of course, uh, the Roman name Diana is actually a fairly common uh, girl's name, uh, one that you're not going to look foul at anybody who's named Diana. Definitely um, not. It peaked around 42nd in mm. 1946 in uh, the United States, and currently it is the around the 200th uh, most used name uh, for babies in the U.S., and Artemis actually is 960th. Okay. So it's, it's, it's hitting the top thousand. 
Um, I got to believe that that's still way better than Hecate. So yeah. unless, <laughs> I think, I think unless there's more neo-paganists reproducing and, yeah. and honoring her with their the naming rights to their child than I suspect, but probably not. Yeah. So we have, uh, you know, obviously Princess Diana, Diana Ross. Sure. Uh, and the name Diane also uh, mm-hmm. comes from them. Uh, in terms of, you know, popular culture, there's the book and 2020 movie Artemis Fowl. Uh, but Artemis Fowl has very little to actually to do with Artemis. Mm-hmm. Uh, Artemis Fowl is a 12-year-old genius boy uh, descended from a long line of criminal masterminds. Um, and the movie from 2020 uh, got an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. That wasn't Warshawski's, was it? I don't. I, 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 I couldn't answer. 8%. I well, I know that that's not good. Yes, that is the lowest and I think puts I've the ever foul seen. back in Artemis. <laughs> yes, it's very much so. Um, Artemis is the name of a villainous character on the TV show Arrow, which I believe is uh, one of the Marvel um, franchise. Uh, there is an Artemis air gun for hunting deer. Okay. Um, there is a very expensive pistol. Uh, Named after Artemis, so it's it, that one is high cost per kill. Yeah, uh, so it's like a six thousand dollar pistol. Um, <laughs> and I assume that there's some sort of holster for all of these. Yeah, I would, I would, I would assume so. That's good. Um, good. In, in, in a little bit different vein, um, Artemisa is, is a family of plants, uh, mm-hmm. also known as wormwood, and Artemisin is a malaria treatment uh, discovered by. Uh, female Chinese scientist who won the Nobel Prize for Medicine in 2015 for the treatment of malaria. That's great. That's, that's a good one. Wow. Um, and uh, I think it was Hades we said who, who had a, a mention in in the New Testament. Artemis also does. Oh, yeah. In, <laughs> in, in the book of Acts in the New Testament uh, has a call out to has a call out to Artemis um, and it mentions her temple at Ephesus. Apparently some statue makers thought that Paul, uh, the apostle, was, was being disrespectful to Artemis. Uh, so they started a riot. Um, which, so which, yeah. Artemis herself does not appear. No, she does not appear. Illusion. Okay, so it's not, more of not full on crossover potential here. Okay. No, people, uh, the statue makers uh, making statues of her. Uh, enacted some of their own wrath on yeah. uh, Paul for uh, you know interfering with business. Yeah, she'd approve of that. Seems it seems in character for the yeah. boss. Yeah. So, um, and then uh, there is the Artemis Moon program. I don't know if you're familiar with this. That rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah. So this aims to return uh, people to the moon by 2025, and Artemis One uh, is planning to launch later this year. Really? Uh, and the plans include establishing an Artemis base camp on the moon. I, so that would not be in 2025. That would be more of a long range. Plan. Yes, I believe I believe that's that, that's the ultimate goal that they're working towards. But Outstanding. Yeah. I, so, I hope they succeed. Yeah, so that that is uh, that's what I had on, on, on Artemis. Well, I do believe that wormwood, I think, is the central ingredient of, is it absinthe? No, oh, I believe this. So there's there's something there, and I can't believe you didn't mention uh, the much derided men's cologne, Artemis. Uh, <laughs> I've never maybe heard maybe that. maybe this is again more my department than, than, than yours, but uh, 
having some some fragrance experts in the family. But yeah, there's a no, I shouldn't say much much derided. There's a lot of uh, I believe young men kind of get get flack for wearing Artemis a little too much of it in their teenage uh, years. Okay. Right. So polo black to car noir, it's sort of in that category. But right. I should say they, they do make excellent products now and they're very high end fragrances. So um, not as high end as Chanel for the record, but Artemis <laughs> does well. Excellent. All right. All right. So, um, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, this one, it seems seems to me pretty clear that this is this is Artemis. I to, think you're exactly take. right. Yep, I think that's uh, a it's a it's a it's a route. Right. That's, all, that one's not even close. I mean, all, all due respect to the continuation of witchcraft to this right. to this day, but grand scheme of things, I think Artemis takes that one. Yeah, yeah, mainstream. I think I think that's the case. All right, and then the last one we have is Matinee Idol, and yes. that is uh, would make better movie of their uh their life and we've we've kind of liberalized this one somewhat as as we've gone around <laughs> gone along a little less uh directly a retelling and sort of Pretation, in that vein, right yeah 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 in, in that vein i'm gonna go a little bit on the uh allegorical side here mm, okay so uh setting is a college sorority mm. uh row alpha theta and uh Diana is a fifth, maybe sixth year senior. No one's really sure. There's sorority <laughs> pictures sure those. Yeah. You know, from the nineties, even the seventies with members that look, you know, suspiciously like Diana, probably relatives though. Uh, so, you know, the sorority sort of the, the underdogs on campus. They, they always take the innocent, a little less worldly, mm-hmm. uh, little nerdy girls, uh, in, into the sorority, mm-hmm. but you know most people know not to mess with the girls of Rule Alpha Theta because they're they're legends about you know what happens when you do bad things, bad no things. No so uh, you know, so this is actually I'm kind of thinking really said about more of a horror movie, sure sort of aspect. So uh, you know, inevitably some people do mess with with the girls of, of Rho Alpha Theta and uh, their wrathful consequences. And, uh, but like many horror movies, you know, there's also this sense of horror as, as revenge with some, you know, justification. Sure. Uh, you know, we've got you know, maybe a male student spies ritual bathing ceremony that the sororities have, and, and that has disastrous results. Cinematic uh, gem right there. Yeah. For him, uh, maybe an athletic director is enticed to, Sacrifice his daughter for a football championship. <laughs> Whatever it takes to win. Yeah. Uh, you know, all building up to the conjuring of a boar monster that <laughs> rampages through campus uh, after the sorority's homecoming float is disrespected and not given even an honorable mention. Oh, uh, eventually, bad idea. Eventually fought off by a sorority member, Addie, and her male companion, Mel. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's kind of, and that's that, and that's the movie, so. Good. I would, I would totally watch that movie. Very nice. Yeah. Oh. Well, for the Hecate side, you know, I, I, I can't help but keep going back. Maybe it's the sentimental part of me, but keep going back to that original version that I had in my head of Hecate back, back in Mexico, right? So, so I'm visioning a TV series. Uh, I'm calling it Hecate from Tecate. <laughs> and I recognize I'm changing the pronunciation, but, you know, Shakespeare can do it. So as a, as a, yeah, so, so co-host of a very popular podcast. I, t- I feel I have the same artistic <laughs> right. license. 
So Hecate from Tecate, I, I, and I can say from Tecate because I understand that Tecate itself is just kind of a border town. So I would have her relocate to sort of Puerto Vallarta where there's beaches and much more cinematic and, and more picturesque. So um, Hecate begins as a happy-go-lucky gal on the beach. She's enjoying the sun. She's surrounded by her entourage. She's got her, her adored chihuahua next to her. She's got her pole cat. Uh, maybe the two of them can sort of be comedic foils. Maybe they can talk, have funny accents and, and sort of tell jokes. Um, and life is good. They're enjoying Tecates by the sea. They're, they're, they're in a life of leisure. Um, but over time, of course, her adventures like that of the goddess that inspired her will, will, will grow darker. And she finds her way to what is essentially the underworld of Mexico cartel country. And then over time throughout the series, and it is, I think, an ongoing streaming yeah. series like Breaking Bad, we slowly watch her transition from sunny socialite to become the witch warrior of the night, taking down cartel villains one by one. Um, and just as Walter White, of course, in Breaking Bad had his methods, every time Hecate needs to dispose of a body, she's able to, with her voice, summon her fleet of red mullets who take care of business and eliminate the bodies in a stunning cinematic flash of bright red. Very cinematic. And then her duty being done, she returns to the beach and enjoys a cold Tecate with uh, you know some, some high product placement potential here, as you can see, um, along with some flautas and some guacamole. Yeah. Now, for casting, I, I, as, as Hecate, I, I can't help but see Julia Louis-Dreyfus, comedic legend, mainly because as Elaine on Seinfeld, her favorite Eagle song was, of course, Witchy Woman. It seems like a natural fit. Um, And the beauty of the show is like Hecate herself. Some episodes are very light and bright and funny. Others much more dark because as we've talked about, the goddess is very comfortable in both worlds. And let's face it, when you're watching a show, sometimes you want something that's a little bit light and comedic. Sometimes you want something more serious. You got to be in the right mood for the show. So because it's on a streaming service, you can actually choose which of the episodes that you would like to, to watch at any given time, a bright one or a darker one. Streaming service brings up a menu and allows you to choose a path. And of course, the interface for that path is a crossroads. Oh, yeah. Choose your adventure. So Hecate from Tecate. Streaming soon on either AMC Plus or more likely the Tecate Lager YouTube channel. <laughs> Rife with product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we got two winners there. I think both uh, highly, highly commercially uh, yeah. full of potential. Um, I think as far as longevity goes, you know, I, I, I do appreciate the sort of um, the descent into darkness uh, storyline uh-huh. that's done us so, so well in Breaking Bad. Um, yet, I think cinematically, your story is full of so many great tropes and full of so many collegiate men behaving badly that I think it both rings true with <laughs> the real world uh, and has endless supply for both comedy yeah. and drama. So I think uh, I think yeah. I will give... I will give the the sorority girls the edge on my vote, uh, but I will keep the other in the back pocket in case I need to make a endorsement deal with the good people of Tecate down the road. All right. Yeah, the, uh, you know that, that's that's a, it is an interesting uh, choice I think because uh, uh, you know I think that's a little something different with the Hecate from from Tecate, um, and uh, you know, but there are some fa- some good tropes. This one, but I think I'm I'm gonna go with Hikate from Tecate. I want oh, to nice. I want to see that I want to see that made. So from your mouth uh, to Hollywood's ears, let's make it happen. Yeah. Well, so I didn't. I was not able to get any meetings <laughs> when I was out there. <laughs> hey, once this goes viral, it won't be a problem. 
Uh, so you've been taking the tally. I think I assume that Artemis got the edge. Yes. Uh, yes, she did. So, in fact, it is three to nothing with two draws. Okay. So pretty pretty significant margin of victory there. Um, not entirely yeah. surprising given this is a clash between an Olympian and a much sort of lesser deity, but uh, an entertaining journey nonetheless. And uh, very much so. <laughs> a learning experience that sometimes people you think are similar can be very different in their own yes. ways. Fantastic. Well, folks, that will do it for episode seven. Uh, until next time, when we hit those quadruple digits, episode eight, um, thank you for listening. We are available everywhere you want us. Uh, still waiting on the folks at Pandora. Come on, guys. We're, we've been waiting right. for a week. Get on it. Um, like, subscribe, leave a review. Rate, yeah. a good review. Rate everywhere. Rate everywhere. That's a great call. And leave uh, you know five star reviews if you feel that way. You know we don't want to influence, but if you if you are feeling the entertainment value, uh, please let that be known. Tell your friends. Find us on Twitter. The website is godversusgod.com. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and the official God versus God playlist remains on Spotify, where every episode we add two more songs. Yes. match the episode behind it any parting words my friend uh you know i i said rate and review uh i actually have no personal knowledge that that helps but every other podcast i've listened says that it does 50 so million podcasts can't be wrong <laughs> Good. all right well thank you sir always a pleasure my friend and uh thanks as always to andy snow for the theme music he will play us out until next time see ya god versus god so long Bye.